honor of reading Psalms 30. I will exalt you, Lord, because you have lifted me up and have not allowed my enemies to triumph over me. Lord, my God, I cry to you for help, and you have healed me. Lord, you brought me up from shale. You spared me from among those going down to the pit. Sing to the Lord, you his faithful ones, and praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor a lifetime. Weeping may stay overnight, but there is joy in the morning. When I was secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Lord, when you showed your favor, you made me stand like a strong mountain. When you hid your face, I was terrified. Lord, I called to you. I sought favor from my Lord. What gain is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your truth? Lord, listen and be gracious to me. Lord, be my helper. You turn my lament into dancing. You remove my sackcloth and clothe me with gladness so that I can sing to you and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. Amen. Thanks, Sherry. All right, how are you guys doing? Yeah, great. I heard a great. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang on to that one. So uh, it's great to see you too. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm glad to be here. Uh, man, it's great to be just worshiping uh, God this morning and just uh, man, praising his name for, for who he is and, and for what he has done. And, and spoiler alert, that's basically going to be what we're talking about today. Um, is exactly that, speaking out on what God has done through us and for us and who he is and, and how, we, how we respond, who that, how that changes us when we continue to make that known, when we have hearts that are truly turned towards worship, towards the real posture of, of worship and what that means. So we are continuing our series this morning called Summer of Psalms. And uh, I know that title sounds really confusing. Like, what, what is that about? It's the summer, and we're doing the Psalms. So I know we just, we, we're, we're like one of those super creative churches, just like way over the top of everybody. Um, but, but no, uh, Summer of Psalms. We're just taking our summer to walk through... Uh, as many chapters uh, or as many psalms as we possibly can until summer is over. And then we're going to move on until next summer. And then we're going to try to do the same thing again. So, so that is sort of our, our goal for this, this year. There's no, uh, there's no uh, uh, you haven't missed like part one of the series because it's, it's just got the psalms. Each one is a psalm that's individually, creatively, and uniquely speaking to our hearts and our, our lives. And so... Uh, you're welcome for that. Um, uh, if you haven't picked one up yet, we created a summer reading plan that's back on the, the information table for you to be able to read through the entire book of Psalms in one summer. And, and if you've been at this from the beginning of their journey, uh, sticking with it, going through one, one every morning, one at night, you should be about a third of the way through, um, about 70 Psalms uh, through now. So congratulations, you hit a, a good milestone, only, uh, no, 50, about a little more than 50, you should have about 100 more to go, but you can make it. 
We're, we're, all, we're all in this together. Um, if you start now, uh, you've got some catching up to do. Just that's okay. Um, you, can, you can pick up. But, but man, this is a great opportunity. If you have heard about the Psalms or if you've, you've, you've read them occasionally or you've even sung them a, a little bit from time to time, but you haven't really ever dug deep into them. And, and if you haven't, I think that you, you just might be surprised by what you find in those psalms. Um, I was speaking to someone earlier this week who has been, who started with us from the very beginning in June uh, with the reading plan, and, and he and his wife have been moving steadily through the psalms, one in the morning and one at night. And uh, he and I were talking about it, and he said, you know, it's really good, but he's like, man, a few of the recent ones have been rough. Like, there have been difficult psalms to, to read through and pray through. And he's like, man, it's tough. And I agreed with him as we were reflecting on it. I said, you know, like sometimes we you get used to thinking that the Psalms are just all of these super encouraging, like happy, pappy, hippie praise songs, but they're not. They're not always so much sunshine and rainbows, Right? Um, and, and there are real serious struggles that go on in the Psalms. And the man said, yeah, uh, that's true. I guess that's because that's how life is. And that's totally true. Like, that's exactly spot on. The Psalms are, 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 have this, this balance, this, this uh, movement of, of, of hardship and struggle and joy because that's how our lives are in the same way. We don't... We don't, as we're not emotionless beings that only experience joy and happiness all the time. We also experience the hard times and the struggles as well. And we're faced with things like depression and anxiety and fear and anger and frustration and hurt and sorrow. And, and, and the Psalms don't shy away from those. They lean into them. It's important that we understand that because if we don't, we will constantly be setting ourselves up to meet a standard which God never even set for us in the first place. To somehow be more than what God has actually meant for us to be. And so what the Psalms are doing is they are this window into the human soul these prayers that are pulling back the veil of, of human emotion and experience so that we can, so that it will unveil life as it truly and actually is. And, and what we find as we read the Psalms is that it's not we who are doing the unveiling. It's God who is doing the unveiling. He is the one showing us as we, uh, what our longings are, what our experiences are, and the ups and downs and, and ins and outs of human experience and existence, and, and that that is meant to show us who we are and how much we need a God who is like him, a God that hears us and sympathizes with us and, and in return offers us strength and mercy and rest. So as you've been going through, you might be noticed there definitely seems to be two different types of psalms that you might encounter on any given morning or evening. So there are these two types, and one is the psalms of lament, and the other is the psalms of praise. 
And lament psalms are these prayers about pain and confusion and doubt and anger. And they are all about drawing attention to all that is wrong with the world and asking for God to help. So think about the psalms for the last two weeks, if you were here. Those were songs about injustice. And what, when, when we see oppression and hardship in the world, we say, this, this oppression is not right. It's not okay. And we need God to intervene when our voices have been stilled. And we need the strength to fight back evil after it has sapped us of all of that. These psalms now take up the majority of the first three books or the first 90 psalms. So if you've been digging into this and you're like, man, it's more bad than good, it's because most the first part is the psalms of lament. Praise psalms, on the other hand, are these prayers of celebration and joy. And they are drawing attention to all that is good in the world. Praise psalms are retelling the story of what God has done in your life And he is thanking God for doing that. And so books four and five are mostly praise psalms. So it's interesting, as you work your way through the psalms from beginning to end, not not intermittently, not randomly, like picking out and choosing your favorite ones, but as you progress from beginning through the end, just begin to trace how that, that window into your soul just begins to shift and change. Because as you're praying from lament into praise, the perspective of your life and everything in the world will seem frustrating and difficult and, and pointless and hopeless at times. But as God takes over and, and makes his name known into the world and shows who he is, and, and as he is reshaping the directory, the 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 direction of of human history, light begins to pour through. And and suddenly, as you're reading, the circumstances don't define you or determine your outlook quite like they did before, because this trustworthy and faithful and categorically good God is making his presence felt in our lives. So this morning, we are looking at Psalm 30. Now, if, as, you, as you listen to Sherry read Psalm 30, would you say that Psalm 30 is a praise psalm or a lament psalm? It's a happy one. This is a praise. This is going to be a praise psalm today, okay? I, I'm not saying that in the midst of there are these difficult moments and these ups and downs, and, and David definitely has a, a, a short period of lament in here, but but for the most and of and of cry for help. But what you will ultimately see, like the defining part, is the salvation of God. The praise of what He is able to offer, uh, and 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 what you are seeing is you are you are seeing this story of God acting in the life of a person, and He's reorienting a soul that is bent towards death and destruction, and He's pointing it towards life. So what we can find as we read it is that what the psalmist is doing is he is, he is testifying. He is giving a testimony of what God has done in his life. In other words, he is telling his story of salvation. So what we can find 
what my prayer is that you'll discover is that his story is also our story. That his story of redemption and salvation is, is our story. It's not just my story or your story. It's, it's everyone's story. And so how we learn to retell our stories, in other words, how we come to understand and share the testimony of God's work in our lives, this will shape the way that God acts in and through us to bring more and more people into his kingdom. The way in which we become followers of Jesus that make followers of Jesus. So let's pray and we're going to ask for the Holy Spirit to just teach us and, and illuminate us and show us the beauty of his word. And then we'll jump into Psalm 30. Sound good? All right. Excellent. Father, we just, we just look to you as, as our king. Holy Spirit, we look to you as our guide through this psalm this morning. Would you speak into our hearts? Would you reveal the areas of, of weakness and rebellion in our hearts? And would you soften us with kindness and lead us to repentance so that we may follow after you so that your word may be a sweet aroma to us and that everything that we say and do is raised up as an offering to you. And so we just thank you and praise you for what you are about to do. And we just, we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's see where, let's see where the psalmist, in which case, uh, in this case, this is King David of Israel. Let's see what he is going to start us out with. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn them to Psalm 30. It's also going to be up here on the screen. Um, Psalm 30, verse 1. I will exalt you, Yahweh, because you have lifted me up. And have not allowed my enemies to triumph over me. Yahweh, my God, I cried to you for help and you healed me. Yahweh, you brought me up from Sheol. You spared me from among those going down to the pit. And uh, you probably just discovered, I, when I see the word Lord in all capital letters, that's the, that's the Hebrew name for, for Yahweh. Uh, which is, is God's name that he gives to himself in Exodus chapter 3. And so I, I instinctively shift towards, towards God's name. God gave us that name. He wants to be called that, I believe. And so I, I tend to use that. So when you see the word Lord in, in all capital letters, that's, that's God's name. When you see it in not all capital letters, that just means Lord or Master. So we actually see that uh, happen in Psalm 30. So, all right. So that's what's going on there. Um, it's helpful for us here to understand the structure of Psalm 30 so that we can trace the path of this Hebrew poem and recognize why David does it the way that he does. So Psalm 30, like a lot of others, they're going to use this, this stair-stepping structure. Go ahead and move to that next slide. The, the lines. You see that? There it is. Yeah. So this is the, the basic structure of, uh, of Psalm 30. 30, not 10. You can disregard the 10 there. Um, I did this late last night. Uh, so, but basically what's happening is you have one stanza at the front, and that's going to parallel a stanza that's later on in the passage. And at the same time, you're going to have these two other passages that kind of like jut out and 
pop out randomly almost, but they parallel one another too. And so they're linked in this unique way where, where the thought changes, but it's still very much a part of what's going on. And in doing so, it actually is meant to provide more strength and structure and uphold these different thoughts and ideas that are, are going on. So that's, that's essentially what David is doing here. So we're going to start with one thought, then we're going to shift to another thought, then we're going to go back and parallel the first thought, and then we're going to go parallel the... Does that make sense? It, we'll figure it out. It's going to be like this. All right, you got it. I'm, I'm sure you're fine. All right. So verses 1 through 3 and 6 through 10, these are going to tell David's story. And verses 4, 5, and, and 11, and 12, these are these like bursts of joy and, and gratitude that are just like interjected in the midst of the story. And they're meant to just inspire worship among those who hear it. And so when you put it all together, Psalm 30 as a whole is this this testimony of David that is meant to call others just to see how God works in their lives with the same faithfulness, the same power, the same provision. His story of failure and redemption and trust and surrender and worship, that's, that's his reader's story too. And that's, that's our story. That's, that's your story. Now when I say that, you might push back on me a little bit. Because I understand each one of us does have a different story in a way. It's totally personal to you, completely unique to you, because no one else is like you. I can't claim to know your story and all the particulars and, and, and exactly what shapes you and makes you who you are because I didn't live your life. Nobody did except for you. And you don't have my story. I mean, I'm pretty sure that I am the only one in this room that was born August 30th, 1985 in Red Bluff, California to parents Ron and Casey. And, and I'm pretty sure that was me. And I know, only I know, that I grew up listening to the same three cassette tapes hundreds and hundreds of times. And I still don't remember any of those songs. But, but that, was, that was something particular that to my story. These are not my real teeth. I, I bet you didn't realize that. But that's part of, that's a different story for another day, but it's part of my story. All right? My story is my story. And the details are special and influential to the person who I am today. And you have a story too. And it's all yours. And it it has these ups and downs and adventures and, and lulls and hardships and struggles and just total highlight real moments. And that's part of your identity. The experiences and environment and, and emotional growth that defines you and, and it makes you who you are. And again, that's totally unique to you because you are a unique person. So we not only believe that you have a special story to tell, we, we want to hear it. 
I want to hear your story. I want to know who you are. And so, and that's, again, that's why we tell stories to one another about us is to help people know more about us because we want to know them, right? It's why we tell stories. It's a way of deepening and, and creating more intimate relationship with one another. If you want to get to know a person, what's the absolute best way? Share your stories with them, right? Share your stories. If you want to increase vulnerability in, in, your, in a relationship, what's the best way? Share your stories. Who you are. What drives you and defines you and makes you this way? You make it personal and meaningful. Share the details of your life that make you who you have come to believe you are. Here's the other part of that, too. There are these certain details in, in, in your life that are inevitable in every single story without fail. And you said, wait, 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 I thought you just said my story is unique. Yes, in the details. The trees are unique. The forest, not so much. All right? There is some, some certain key parts of your story that are, are this same, that are linked to every other human being on this earth. The arc of our story rises and falls fairly predictably. We are born and we live and then we die right? Uh, does, has anybody ever lived, I mean, other than Jesus, has lived a different life than that kind of life? I, I mean, it's, it's fairly common rule for the road among us human beings. Yeah? Okay. So I, I got you there, right? All right. Um, now, some of us, like, have a longer arc than others. Some of them rise really high and then drop really fast. Some of them barely rise at all. Um, and then they drop really quickly. And, but all will fall in the end, right? And that is, that is true of each and every one of us. So that's, that's at least one. Uh, the second thing that I can say is that without Jesus, without his grace and mercy that is poured out on us through the cross, that fall is the end. That fall is the end of the story. And so we all universally need Jesus to take over our stories and remake them with him at the center. Now, David's story, is that's personal to him. And if you really want to read his story in full, if you really want to get to know David, go back and read 1 and 2 Samuel. We have books in the Bible that actually account for all these intimate details of his life, his, his rise as a, his life as a young shepherd, and then his, his, his rise to fame as a soldier, and then to power as a king, and you get to, to read about all of his wives, and his girlfriends, and his, his money, and wealth, and riches, and all of his uh, playboy failures, and, and all of his uh, parenting failures, and, and you get to see this, this very flawed Man, try to live a life as best that he can for the Lord as following his God and making lots and lots of mistakes along the way. So if you really want to get to know David, there is plenty to follow up on. 
And I'm sure that David could, again, regale us many times over with human interest. But that's not David's identity. How does David tell his story here? And just in the first three verses, he says, My enemies had the upper hand, and I was done for, but you protected me. I was hurt, I was in pain, and you brought healing and hope. My life was headed for Sheol, this underworld, the the grave. But you led my soul from that destination and you set my life apart from death. And so I will set you up, God, in the highest place of authority and respect and honor because you have drawn me up from the deep well of lowliness that I was in. This is the imagery that David uses to describe his life story. And from that, you can see what's important to him. What he values most, what he considers worth sharing with you. And so, it, it, and when you read that, it's not his aptitude or his strength. It's not his good looks or his wealth or all of his kids. And all of those things are things that, for most of us, we would love to include in our stories. We would love to include those things in our stories. What is, like, the most, in my opinion, like, what is the most common, uh, joyful, and most disgusting uh, type of Facebook post that you can ever read? It's the birth story, right? We Parents love sharing the birth story of their kids online, in public, on Facebook for everybody to know. And my, uh, my wife has done it. My family has done it. I'm not, I'm, if you have, I'm, I apologize to you if that sounds offensive. But I, you have to also admit, sometimes it's kind of gross, right? Like it is sometimes a gross thing, but it's also really, really exciting. It's also this incredibly joyful, like turning point, life shifting moment in our lives. And it becomes an incredible part of our stories. Man, there are so many of those moments. I, if you are interested in just like piecing together what your life story looks like right now, just go on to Facebook and like, like scroll back like two years and then just go by and say, okay, this is my story. This is at least how I've communicated it to the rest of the world, right? So, so, so these are things, and, and when we look at, at somebody like David or somewhere else, we go, man, the things that he did, I would have been posting that all over the place uh, in my story, but, but yet, David takes kind of a look at that, and he says, how do I summarize this life that I've lived, this, this, this experience that I've had? And he comes down to this. The thing that he values most is his God, who gave him life when all that he could see in front of him was death. It gave him hope when there was no hope, It gave him mercy when there was no mercy. Now we're going to continue to hit on this, but for now, I'm going to ask you these four questions that kind of span the Psalms, one one each each passage. And what I want to do is ask you uh, a question about your story to just allow you to dwell on it, think about it, consider it, and say, how does this shape the testimony that you have before God. 
How does this shape the testimony that you have before your God? So question one, what is at the core of your story? What is at the core of your story? So by that I mean what do you consider to be the thing that gives you the most life, the most vitality, the most encouragement? What do you consider to be the highlight reel of your story? What's the thing that you you talk about the most, that you circle back to all the time in conversation, that you like to mull over in your head, the thing that you love just sharing with other people? And if you had two minutes to share your identity and who you were, what would you say? Think about that for a moment and dwell on it and write it down. What's at the core of your story? I'm literally just going to sit here and wait for the next 30 minutes and let you do that. Yeah? Okay. What's at the core of your story? Okay, so with that being said, and, and bear in mind, the, whatever that core is, whether it is, it is right God at the middle or whether it's something else at the moment, don't worry about that because, because this whole process is something that we call, you'll see it at the end, it's transformation. A story about God. A testimony about God is a story of transformation. It's a story of change. And so, whatever that is, just think about it. Be honest with yourself and put it down. So, next, let's see where the psalmist takes us. Verse 4. He says, Sing to Yahweh, you, his faithful ones, and praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor a lifetime. Weeping may stay overnight, but there is joy in the morning. All right, so, so David was going along with this, this story of his life, and then all of a sudden he pivots, and he, he just sort of explodes with this outburst of praise and, and gratitude. And, um, and that's important because this call to sing is not just about you raising up your voice and, and, and singing a chorus or two, kind of like we do on, on Sundays. These are these very active verbs, it's all about making music and throwing and, and heaping honor on to God. It, it involves our whole being thrown into this act of worship. It's, it's not the most Baptist thing that you can do. We Baptists, we tend to, this is about as far as we get on the movement scale, right? We're here and then we go here and that's about, that's all we got, right? We got one hand, two hands is a little much, but we got the one, right? So, so movement in, in our worship is not often something that we usually experience when we think about worship and singing. And yet what he is doing, we're going to find this at the end, David cannot stop moving. <laughs> He's just, he, he is not a standing still kind of guy. He is all about how God like, provokes him towards active posture of worship. 
That's incredible. Now look, he does not, he does not ignore hardship. He doesn't pretend that these things aren't a part of his life. He says there is grief and sadness. There is trouble. David also points right here to a time in his life where he is far from God's presence and living well outside the boundaries of covenant commitment that he promised that he would lift up and and hold on to. But he notes this is not a forever thing because Yahweh is slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth. And yes, he does exact justice for a short while, but he does that so that faithful love may be extended for generations so that mercy may ultimately triumph over judgment. Now note also, what does he call the people that he invites into his worship circle? Sing to Yahweh, you his faithful one. His faithful ones. Uh, now, when he calls them faithful, he is, he's not talking about how well they have held up their, uh, their commitments, how good they have kept up the commandments, um, how ritually observant they have been, how morally upright they are. He's not, he's not calling them faithful in that way. He's using this word chesed. And and that is a word that best describes God's, in particular, his completely and trustworthy love and kindness toward us. Chesed is this, this, this active, faithful, powerful love that draws people in with kindness and that welcomes us as we are, that embraces us as children in accordance to absolutely nothing that we ourselves have done. Sing to the Lord, you, his faithful ones. And by that, he means the ones who he has shown faithful love to. The ones who have been shown kindness. Sing, you who are faithful because he has been faithful. You who love because he has first loved you. You who have been changed to love by love. Man, that is just, just, I love that just explosion that comes from him telling his story of grace that, that just prompts and, and evokes uh, a, just a, a moment of this spontaneous worship within him. It's such a powerful moment. And so when I, man, my, my, my prayer is that that just begins to shape our testimony in the same way. Now, when I say that, I think sometimes we get, we get also hung up on the word testimony. Do you ever get hung up on, on the idea of sharing your testimony? Like it seems sometimes, when you take that, oftentimes when you hear, can you share your testimony, we talk about, well, here's, here's my conversion story. Here's how I was saved, right? Here's the day when I, the, it's, my testimony is all about the day when I asked Jesus into my heart at this and so it's in such age, right? And, and, and but, but it's often the thing that people want to know, and, and, now, here's what I've discovered after years and years of living in the church bubble, um, is that 
when, you, when, when people ask about your testimony, they want to hear a good story. You want to hear a good conversion story. And the best testimonies usually have this super tragic backstory, right, of, of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And, and the tragic story is usually graphic and violent and, and, and mega entertaining. And then, and then Jesus comes and he saves you from Metallica and the Rolling Stones. And, 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 then, uh, and then now you're not in a motorcycle gang anymore or you're not lying dead in a ditch somewhere. And so like, that's, the, that's the amazing testimony that you have to share. And so I'm not... These are, I mean, I'm not trying to knock these stories because I know that many of you do have amazing and powerful stories like that. I'm not, I'm not I, God has used those types of, of stories, of testimonies to change other people's lives and to bring them to an understanding of the saving power of Jesus Christ. And so I'm not knocking those things at all. They are amazing all I'm saying is that my story was not like that. That was not my story. Uh, one time in high school, I was asked to share my testimony in front of my peers, and the guy who went before me had a story just like that, and it was incredible, and people were just like in awe of what God had done, and then I get up and I'm like, I was saved at five years old uh, in Sunday school, and it's been about the same ever since. And um, so basically what I did was I, like, co-opted his story. And I'm like, wasn't that amazing? And, you know, like, tried to, like, like shift it into this, like, salvation message. And by the end of it, you don't even know where my story was in the whole thing because I just totally abandoned it because I'm like, mine is not interesting. But his was, and here's this thing that maybe I can grab from it. So even then, I, I started preaching, and that, that was... But, but preaching for like not the right reasons, guys. Don't do that. Um, in the church, we have taught ourselves that our story is not good enough unless the backstory is more tragic and more fraught and more life-threatening. And the good news of Jesus... The story that is supposed to take over ours and change our lives and give us joy and, and just lift us out of our seats with praise. How often does that part become old news? Something that happened a long time ago and, and now you're just in the long slog of, of moral observance that's going to end in rewards for you. Here's what I want. Here's what I hope to see from the testimonies of followers in our church and, and beyond. I want the good news of Jesus to be good news, to, good news to you. Because good news to you is good news for others. If Jesus is the standard against which you are constantly trying to measure up, he's not good news for you. If Jesus is the smiling, happy teacher who did not give up his life for you and offer you grace and mercy, he's not good news for you. I want your testimony as you share your life story and how Jesus took it over and changed everything to just be filled with these outbursts of joy, not just calculated efforts of proselytization. 
The moment you were taken from death and brought to life is incredible and not to be understated. But let me ask you this question. This is question number two. What is good news in your story? What specifically is the good news in your story? For some of us, it is that conversion moment that happened right at the beginning. For others, that process comes later. When we realize over time, I, I thought I had this all figured out, and I failed miserably at it. And God brought people into my life to change and, and, and soften my heart and humble me. When I share my story, the testimony of, of what God did in my life, there is, I, I celebrate the good news, the celebration that happened at five years old. But I also share the monumental realization that God was not fully and completely the, the, the one leading my life while I was in college. I share the moment where God completely broke me utterly destroyed everything I knew about my identity when I was 24 and completely turned that thing around and said, no, your life is no longer about what you build for yourself, the kingdom that you create for yourself, the, the, the image that you try to project for other people. It is no longer that story. It is fully and completely God's story. Those are the good news moments for me that I have to look at that and go, man, I am overwhelmed by what God has done in those moments. And it, what it does is it actually makes me hunt for more of the good moments that God has brought into my life, more good news that allows me to share good news because what is good news to you is what is good news to other people as well. So how has God shown you love and kindness in your life? What are the areas of grief and sorrow that are in your life, whether self-inflicted or otherwise? And, and how has God brought relief and healing and joy through it? Is your story marked more by your own self-efforts to please God and to be faithful to him, or is it marked by how God has been faithful to you? And you have no response but to overflow with joy and happiness and excitement over what he has done. So what is good news in your story? Think about that just for a moment and dwell on it and write it down. This is your story, and it's meant to be shared. So where's the good news in your life, in your story? Think about it. All right, how are you guys doing? Hanging in there? Our clock is broken in the back, so I have no idea what time it is. 11.46? Alicia is all too aware. Um, all right, well, I'm just going to keep going until I run out of pages, so um, I hope you guys are all right with that. Um, okay, verse 6, David returns to the story here. He says, when I was secure... 
I said, I will never be shaken. Yahweh, when you showed your favor, you made me stand like a strong mountain. When you hid your face, I was terrified. Yahweh, I called to you. I sought favor from my Lord. What gain is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your truth? Yahweh, listen and be gracious to me. Yahweh, be my helper. So David's story really takes a turn here and goes deep in, deeper into the details. And, and David says there this, there's this season in his life where, where he had favor at every turn. He was prosperous and powerful and strong and secure and full of self-confidence. And I say self-confident because you can see how David's speech changes here. He says, I will never be shaken. He's assertive and confident. He knows who he is. And that's great. And, and we need more assertive people who stand in their identity, who, who know who they are. I long for more assertive people, not aggressive or passive, but just identity-marked people. But it's assertiveness that is absent the presence of God. It's almost as if he has set God aside or considered his provision and protection a right or an expectation instead of an act of grace. Tim Keller writes, We often stroll through life thinking everything will be fine until suddenly it isn't. Our consciousness or, or even verbalized thought is, I'm solid. I'm on top of things. I've got it nailed. I've planned well. I'm secure. But verses 6 through 7 show how even, af even after a recent act of God's deliverance, we can slip back into self-confidence, this time by thinking of God's uh, favor as a right we earned. And I'm thinking back, as I, as I read that and I read David's words, I, I think back to our our series earlier this spring uh, on the Sermon on the Mount and where Jesus is basically, he's talking to the religious leaders and he says, you, you guys do all of these things. You, you tithe and you fast and you, 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 you pray, but you do all of it for the eyes of men to be seen by them and known by them. And if that's the reward you want, if, if earthly gain is the goal of your story, you can have it. There is a greater heavenly reward at stake, but it's only for those who truly want to know God and make him known. So what does God do? He, he shakes his confidence. He hides his face. And what David is talking about here is this imagery of God abandoning him, of removing his divine presence and protection and provision in in. In ancient Jewish understanding, when, when your God is looking down upon you, when his attention is fixed on you, that means his protection is there. That means he's there to help and provide. That means he's watching over you and you're safe and secure. But as soon as that God turns his back and hides his face, he can no longer see what's going on. He can no longer be available to provide for you. He can no longer be of help when your enemies come. So for David, 
the idea that God would hide his face is the scariest thing that he could ever imagine. It completely terrifies him. Now, I've said this before, but if your idea of God is that it is his greatest priority to make you safe and comfortable and happy, then the path of Jesus is not for you. Because your life experience will quickly and severely expose just how naive that view of God is. God's greatest priority is not to make you comfortable. God's greatest priority is to call people to himself, to mold and to shape our character so that we will come to understand the truth of who we are. That we are creatures made in the image of our creator and that we will come to know the truth that ultimately we are not God and that we do not make good captains of our own ship because we conveniently make the ship sail in the way that we think works best for us. And so because of this, God will often deal with us in ways that bring us to our lowest points, to the very end of ourselves, to the, the pit, the grave. And we might hate him for that. We might be frustrated for that. We might be angry with him for that. But the twist in that story is that God's, God's is being merciful in that moment. He's being severely merciful to us. But make no mistake, that is mercy. Because what he is doing is, is allowing us to discover the truth about just how broken and selfish we are. That we've been taking our lives for granted. And that ultimately brings us to a place of dependence and humility. Now, this is another part of David's story that you and I share. It's that point where we take God for granted, and when we do that, we almost, when we take God for granted, we almost, like, unconsciously, but yet no less intentionally, we put God on the outside of the hero zone of our story, and we move him over to supporting cast role. And we place someone or something in the center. Now that might be us. It's, it's usually us, FYI. You are usually the hero of your own story. But that's not always the case. Sometimes it's a family hero. Sometimes it's a political hero. But it's, it's someone, regardless, that you believe is going to pick you up and restore your dignity and give you everything that you want. So here's a trick if you're trying to figure out, like, who is the hero of my story? Here's a, here's a way to find that out. Here's a, I, I made a little, um, a little formula for you. Uh, it, have you ever said something to the effect of, I needed or struggled with blank, and God sent me blank? Thank God for blank. Uh, and so, like, 
Just put in whatever the random need or struggle with, and that could be, that could be uh, material needs, that could be ideological needs, that could be, uh, that could be something economic needs, and you go, I don't know what I'm going to do. Uh, God sent me this person to come and bring it and save me and do all these things. Thank God for that person. And God becomes sort of the one that you thank on the peripheral side, but it's not the center point. It's, it's saying, God didn't actually save me. That person saved me, and God sent that person. So, like, I'm going to give some credence to God. I'm going to throw him a bone, but I'm not making him the central hero. I'm making that person or that thing the central hero of my story. And what God ends up happening is God gets relegated to this, this outside place of, like, divine wish granter and and our reliance is not on God. It doesn't motivate us to speak like David, to say things like, what gain in, is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your truth? Yahweh, be my helper. Because if you can attribute your success, your happiness, your provision, your satisfaction, your confidence, your strength to anything other than Jesus as the primary catalyst for that, then he's not your hero. And there will be a point, I guarantee it, where your confidence is shaken. There will be a point, if he is not, where your confidence is shaken, where your faith needs to be renewed. And my question for you is, in what will it be renewed when that time comes? So here's question number three to consider for your testimony. Um, first one, what's the, core, what's, the core idea, what's the core of your story? Number two, what is good news in your story? Number three, who is the hero of your story? Who is the hero of your story? When you are shaken, who sustains you? When you are lost, who finds you? When you find hopelessness, what drives you to keep on? When you are grieving, where do you find joy? Who is the hero of your story? Who is the hero of your story? And like I said, we're all going to have these moments where sometimes we're like, right on, it is totally God. And then other times we're like, right on, it's definitely not, right? We're all going to have those moments. It's the beauty of a testimony. How is God working to transform and shape your life? Think about it for a moment, dwell on it, and write it down. And I'll add another one too there. Not just who is your hero, because that might be now. That might be at present. But I want to I put this also in a more positive light. When has God been the hero of that story? When has God been the hero of that story? That's going to be a good news moment for you. When God takes over as the hero of that story, that's going to be a good news moment. All right, one more. One more. We got to wrap this up, yeah? It's good. This is the, this is the great one, all right? Okay. 
David's going to close us out. One last burst of praise, just overwhelming explosion. He says, you turned my lament into dancing and removed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness so that I can sing to you and not be silent. Yahweh, my God, I will praise you forever. Now this whole final stanza depends on this one Hebrew word, hapak, and it means to overturn. So on that very first line, you turned my lament into dancing. That turned is the word hapak. And this image here of hapak, it's not just like, it's not just like you, you, like a magic trick, you turned it into dancing, right? Um, it's not that sort of thing. When he's talking about this, is this image of something being totally destroyed and another thing being raised in its place. It's transformation. Hapak is transformation. The old has gone or died or more accurately, it's been killed and the new has come. I was lamenting. I was grieving. I mourned my destruction the loss of my life, the end of my existence. I bathed in sorrow and despair and frustration. I wore them like I wore sackcloth and ashes. I was frozen solid where I stood, unable to move like, like death personified. And you, God, you destroyed all. You just destroyed all of that. You transformed lament into dancing. You clothed me with gladness and joy. I can sing and not be silent. And silent here literally means I cannot be motionless and still. I have to move with joy. How powerful of an invitation is that? How powerful is an invitation is that? We're not talking, we are not talking about hypotheticals. We are not talking about if you, if you believe in Jesus, someday you're going to get all this stuff and it's going to be really great for you. So will you just emo- like intellectually assume this level of, of belief in Jesus? No, will you allow Jesus to transform, just destroy everything that you have known that is going nowhere in your life to just take it over? to be filled with gladness and joy. To be where you cannot stop moving with, with, with excitement over what God is doing in you and through you and for you. I mean, what a story of loss without God and life with him. What, what good news it is to have God utterly change your life. And notice, this is not a one-time event. This is a turning point in life. Kind of a pun there. Um, this is a turning point in the life of the faithful one. 
the chesed-drawn person. The expectation here is not that God would just give you a series of occasional uplifting moments that sustain an otherwise depressing existence. The expectation here is that this experience will shape your testimony in an ongoing way. That the effects of God's transformation in you will continue for long after. That God continues to speak to you and teach you and inspire you and show you more joy and more peace and more freedom and more rescue for the pit. Yahweh, my God, I will praise you forever. So here's the last question to consider for your testimony. What's the turning point in your story? What's the turning point in your story? What are the points when, when your life was, 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 was destined for this and God just took it and destroyed it and made new things on top? Your conversion story is not one that says, here's the trajectory of life I was going, and then I added Jesus, and then it got really happy and sparkly and a lot better, but still going in the same direction, right? That's not what your conversion story is. Jesus is not like an amplifier. He's not like life, and then life 2.0, right? It's not, that's not what he's doing. He's not an augmentation of your reality. He destroys your reality, and he gives you a brand new reality in a new direction. That is, the, that is Jesus. He is the pivot point of all of history, and he is absolutely the pivot point of your life. What's the turning point for you? Some of us will have many. Some of us will have one. But what's the life where you said, I, by God's grace, I am not who I was. And by his grace, I am not who I will be. I am something else. Man. What's the core of your story? What is good news in your story? Who's the hero of your story? What's the turning point of your story? So my prayer is that as this becomes known to you, as it becomes, re as it becomes truth to you, that this becomes an opportunity to be shared, that when your testimony comes and they say, can you share what God has done? Man, there is just annals and chapters be written and poured through and, and rejoiced over because of what God has done. It's an ongoing, life-changing, transformative experience, and it's meant to be shared. So with that, we're going to, we're going to end our time together. We're going to uh, finish with one last song of, of worship, and my prayer to you is that you guys just have an amazing day, that God just continues to speak into your life, uh, that your week just continues forward, and that there are just endless opportunities to share your story with, with others. So we just thank, uh, just thank God with me at this point. Father, we just, I just pray that we would lift up your name today, that our hearts would explode with the same, the same zeal and fervor that that David had in that moment when he revealed that he on his own was not 
was not up to the challenge of saving his life, of being the hero of his own story, but that you were. Lord, for those of us who are trapped in the pit, metaphorically, in the grave, and not sure where to go, would you lift up our eyes? Would you draw us up like a well? That we might see your face, that we might trust in you, that we might know you and be known by you. May that be the story of our, of our church, of our people, of our city. We just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.